Probably the least well-known of the classic tenor players from the 30s is a man by the name of Chew Berry. He's from Wheeling, West Virginia, and spent a good deal of his early career in the Midwest. He played with a lot of the important big bands in the early to mid-1930s, and his most famous association was with Cab Calloway in the late 30s and early 1940s. But he made a lot of recordings with small groups. People are under the mistaken assumption that because the 1930s is known as the big band era, the swing era, that all the jazz was played in big bands. That is not true. Some of the best improvised jazz really comes from the small groups group setting. Chu assimilated everything that Coleman had given all the saxophone players and Ben Webster, and he put his own spin on things. Chu loved to play pieces that were very, very fast. He possessed tremendous technique, and his sound was softer, and he didn't use the growl that Coleman would occasionally use. You don't hear that much in Chu's playing, but you hear a lighter approach, but you also hear the very wide cello-like vibrato, which was standard for all saxophone players from this era. They all use what's called constant vibrato, and they all played pretty heavily on the beat, and Chu, of course, is no exception. But he made some great recordings with the small group on the Commodore label with uh, Hot Lips Page and also with the great trumpet player Roy Eldridge. Let's listen to a wonderful recording made in about 1938. This is called Sitting In. Chu had great technique, beautiful sound, and he also had a great deal of harmonic knowledge between Coleman Hawkins and Chu Berry. They're about the same with their knowledge of harmony, and so that's why they can play so very easily at very fast tempos and with rather flawless technique. A very interesting piece of information is that Coleman Hawkins made a very famous recording in 1939 of Body and Soul, but what most people don't know is that Chu Berry actually recorded the song maybe six or seven months before Coleman Hawkins recorded the song. So let's listen to a little bit of the first version. This is Chu Berry's version of Body and Soul. So this recording of uh, Body and Soul, uh, recorded by Chu Berry before Coleman Hawkins made his famous recording, is interesting on many different levels. It really highlights Chu Berry's beautiful sound, his phrasing. One of the reasons that this version might not have been as popular as Coleman's is because Chu doesn't take the kind of liberties with the melody and is a beautiful statement of the melody, but Coleman's version is a magnificently improvised solo. Tragically, Chu Berry died in a car accident about 1942 at the height of his career. He was a famous soloist with many of the big bands in the late 30s, but his work with Cab Calloway is a 
especially noteworthy. He didn't make as many recordings as the other saxophonists because he didn't live as long, but he was every bit on the same level as they were. But he also had a, a very original approach to playing his sound, his technique, and of course, great harmonic knowledge of the music. <laughs> Now, the most interesting of the tenor players, for a lot of reasons, was a man by the name of Lester Young. Lester was born in Woodville, Mississippi, about 1909, and he was raised in New Orleans, and he spent most of his career in the Midwest. He didn't live in Kansas City until 1935, but he played with many of the Kansas City Territory bands, so people are always under the mistaken assumption that he lived in Kansas City. He didn't. He lived in Minneapolis and would travel, as many of the Territory musicians did, to Kansas City or to other cities to play with well-known groups. Lester Young is one of the most interesting characters in all of 20th century music, and especially as a jazz improviser, he was light years ahead of his contemporaries. He didn't sound like Coleman Hawkins. The other three tenor players, Chu, Berry, Ben Webster, and Coleman, had a very cello-like sound with a wide vibrato that was consistent. They could all swing, but they played right on the beat as opposed to playing behind the beat like Lewis. Armstrong. Lester's sound was light and airy, and that comes from the fact that at the turn of the century, through about 1920, the most popular saxophone in use was not the tenor or alto, it was an instrument called the C melody saxophone, which is in between the tenor and alto. So it's, it looks like a tenor, but it's played with almost a, a mouthpiece that looks like an alto mouthpiece. The point is that the C melody saxophone had a very light, airy sound. When Lester Young was very young, he played in his family's band. They played in minstrel shows. They traveled all over the country, and he was playing the C melody sax. And when he picked up the tenor, he was getting that C melody sax sound on the tenor. So he didn't sound like any other tenor player. It was light and airy. And if you listen to the saxophone players from the late 40s, early 50s, like Stan Getz, Zoot Sims, Dexter Gordon. It was the sound of Lester that attracted all the jazz musicians in the 1940s. But during the 1930s, he was the outsider. Also, his approach to rhythm was very different. He swung his eighth notes just like Louis Armstrong, and he played behind the beat in a manner that was unlike all his contemporaries who played right on the beat. And so there were a lot of things about Lester's playing that really foreshadowed the style of bebop, and his playing was very attractive to them. In fact, Charlie Parker took all of Lester Young's recordings and memorized the solos note for note with the same kind of sound and time feel, and that's part of it. The charm of his playing is that it comes right out of Lester Young and another alto player from Kansas City by the name of Buster Smith. Lester's first great recordings were made with Benny Moten and a band called the Blue Devils, but he really came to prominence playing with the Count Basie Orchestra in 1936. Many of the musicians in the Midwest congregated around Kansas City, and they had their own style of playing in Kansas City, which was called the riff style. They relied very heavily on improvisation, also on playing the blues, and Lester was right in the middle of this style of playing. The records made with Count Basie Orchestra from 1936 to about 1940 were made in New York City. The Basie Band left Kansas City in 1936 and never returned.
Lester had a wonderful working relationship with some great musicians in the 40s and 50s. And probably one of the most famous was his working relationship with the great singer Billie Holiday. They made some wonderful music together. Lester, when he would play a laid-back tempo or a slow swing piece, you can really hear how far behind the beat he plays in the horizontal nature of his playing. Let's listen to a great recording called Jumpin' with Symphony Sid. So we've listened to four great tenor saxophonists who really came to maturity in the 1930s, Coleman Hawkins being the father of them because he was doing it very well and successfully before the other three. Coleman starts his career in the early 20s, plays with Fletcher Henderson, makes a series of amazing recordings throughout the 1930s, culminating in the great recording in 1939 of him playing Body and Soul. But his sound and his approach to playing the saxophone were the model for all the swing era players. Ben Webster brings more color to the sound. His ability to play these sensual ballads was probably one of his fortes. Chew Berry brings this beautiful sound to the saxophone. There's a certain innocence that I hear in Chew Berry's playing that is so appealing. And he doesn't play loud, he doesn't play raucous, but he plays smooth, and the sound just has this almost childlike quality to it that I, I find so appealing. In retrospect, the most important of the four players is Lester Young because the bebop musicians are going to look to Lester as the model for rhythm and sound. What they get from Coleman Hawkins was advanced harmonic knowledge, but the sound, improvisational style, and rhythmic approach come from Lester Young. He passed away in the late 1950s, but through the 40s and 50s, he made some great recordings. And for me, as a trumpet player, I would say that the musician who has the greatest impact on my approach to playing was definitely be Lester Young. I'm interested in the way Coleman approaches harmony, but I'm not interested in the way he plays his notes. I'm more interested in how the notes are played than the actual notes, and that's why Lester Young's playing was so appealing to the modern jazz musicians of the 40s and 50s. <laughs> 